Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah. Barakallahu fikum. Let's get started, inshaAllah ta'ala. Inna alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi na'maduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'kfir. Wa na'udhu billahi min shiru yanfusina. Wa min sa'iyati yamalina. Man yahdihillahu falamudillala. Wa man yudlil falahadiyala. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahtahu la sharika la. Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abaduhu wa rasuluhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Certainly all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone by himself with no partners. We praise him, we seek his aid, and we seek his forgiveness. And we seek refuge with him from the evil of our inner selves and the evil of our actions. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides, no one can misguide. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala misguides, no one can guide. We, we bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone by himself in truth. And that Muhammad ibn Abdullah is his final messenger and his servant. May Allah bless him and grant him peace. Barakallahu fikum, my dear respected brothers and sisters. Juma'a Mubarak, as we say. Alhamdulillah. Good to see all of you here today. So considering where we're at in the world, right? we're in a very unique, unique space, so to speak. And I can't think of another subset of human beings that have experienced more collective trauma and individual trauma as... The Muslims. So in light of that, I really wanted to take some time to talk about both micro and macro trauma. Now, when we talk about these traumas, we really can't go, of course, too deep into them because they are uh, more than 20 minute subjects. But in the wake of, I just want to consider this. In the wake of 2020, right, we've had a pandemic that we're living through right now in real time. So just think about that. We're having a pandemic. Of course, obviously, every day on the news, the killing of several unarmed, uh, innocent black citizens, men, women, and child. That has led to race riots. The pandemic has led to the massive loss of employment by the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Americans. The pandemic has led to a massive death toll also the trauma, the psychological and emotional trauma and fear from having to go outside and battle an unseen and hidden sickness just to go to the post office or go to the grocery store, right? That takes a toll on our, our mental psyche as well. In addition to that, martial law being called in some American cities due to the violence. In addition to that, a president who has been unreasonable and irresponsible at best. And finally, to, to put the cherry on top of all of those different angles, cabin fever, right? Staying indoors with people whom we may or may not get along with, right? For several months. So I want you to consider that, believe it or not, even just one of these issues, a pandemic, massive death toll, Massive loss of jobs, um, a leader who is, is being irresponsible, uh, race riots, martial law. One is enough to cause post-traumatic stress disorder. Just one. We've had multiple layered, nuanced issues, one after the other. And this is only June. So I was sitting and I was thinking, what do I want to do the chutbah about, you know, 
I don't want to do it about, you know, um, black people again. Why? Because inshallah ta'ala, we're going to be doing a series at the masjid about the narrative, the black experience, and we're going to lay out all of that. But even more than that, we don't want to give the impression that black people are the only one who have, who have a monopoly on oppression, right? People, human beings are being oppressed all over the world. In Syria, in Palestine, in Egypt, in Afghanistan, in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, in India, so on and so forth. We understand that. So we don't want to claim that, you know, we have it the worst off or we have it the hardest. People are suffering all over the world. So I didn't want to talk about that again, considering that June is PTSD Awareness Month. Right? I said, man, subhanAllah, the Muslims suffer from this trauma, if not equal to, then greater than a lot of mankind. So most of us, we associate PTSD with war, right? And, 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 and rightfully so. You know, these studies started coming out after like World War One, World War II, starting, starting to understand how soldiers were affected by seeing the things that they saw, right? But PTSD, brothers and sisters, and I want us to really understand this, it could come as a result of any moment of trauma, not just war and not just violence. It, violence. it could be an acute mistreatment as a child. It could be an it can be um, a bad relationship as an adult, right? PTSD is wide and broad and almost all encompassing on some level, right? All of us as human beings have experienced this and it's normal to have upsetting memories. That's normal to feel on the edge. That's normal. You're a human being. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that we each gonna taste fear, hunger, right? Worry, because this is dunya. Now it may be normal on some level, but if it doesn't go away, if the same trauma keeps coming up after a few months, then this is most likely PTSD. Now, I was a, a, doc, a doctorate student in psychology for all of, all of a year. I switched majors and I'm doing a doctorate in ministry now. But my point in saying that is, you know, I have read some, some books and some, you know, psychology papers on these particular subjects. And I'm certainly not, I'm far from an expert, I'm more of a novice, but it's something that's deeply intriguing to me because I feel like on one level, the Muslims are missing a piece of spirituality because we haven't first addressed the topic of being psychologically ill, right? We, we have to process 700 years of oppression, right? So PTSD is something that's very interesting to me, intriguing to me, because if we don't address it, then we, we fail to address many of our ailments and they become challenges between us and ma'rifatullah, right? In knowing intimately about who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bi'addillah, upon clear evidence, right? A lot of these things are blocked by hearts that are, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, fi kulubihim maradun that the heart may have a sickness and Allah increases it. Now, of course, this could mean kufr, disbelief. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the sickness that may come from the mind and block the soul, the heart, from gaining benefit from Quran. Right. And so this is what PTSD does. It puts a block between us and our true selves, us 
and the, aspir uh, the, the aspirations that we have for the future. So, for Muslims, and we want to stay talking, keeping it broad and talk about Muslims, this kind of trauma comes in two ways that I see it. It comes from our home countries. It comes from our violence, physical violence. It could be, it could be emotional violence. It could be verbal violence. It could be a moment of trauma you witnessed as a bystander. So I want to talk a little bit about how it happens in our home countries as well as how it happens in our households because we have to be mindful. And as an imam, as a clergy, as a pastoral care provider, I'm privy to many of the community ailments that many people aren't, right? I, I hear about the worries and concerns and the deep transgressions that people have experienced in life trying to find a solution or a way out or a conclusion or a way to repent or a way to resolve. And this has given me uh, maybe a little bit more, me as well as some other people in the community, a little bit more insight into what the Muslims individually and collectively have been suffering from. So, you know, we know that trauma can come through anniversaries, right? You may have a traumatic reminder on, an, on a specific date and some survivors may have reactions to that, right? And this can be feeling mildly, mildly upset for a day or two or, you know, need, leaving, needing to be left alone to something more severe. All of this is PTSD. You may not see it as that, and this is a Muslim stigma, right? There's a taboo around these issues of mental health, and we're gonna talk about the categories of mental health and why we need not be afraid to address what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made permissible and halalun for us to address. Muslims may have specific triggers, right? Trigger reminders or trauma, trauma, not necessarily a date, but something that happens in a situation, in a scenario, something that's said at work, something that's said in university that triggers something that happened to you back in your home country or triggers that something that happened to you when you were a child in your mother and your father's household. And you may have feelings of anger, concern, fear, helplessness, right? Research shows that people who have been through some trauma or loss or hardship or drastic change in the past, they may be even more likely than others to be affected by new potential traumatic events, right? So if you've experienced trauma in the past, you may be more susceptible and vulnerable to being affected by new trauma, right? Public trauma, like what we're going through now, the pandemic. It could lead some of us a year from now, inshallah, bi'idhnillah, wallahu alam, to PTSD. Having post-traumatic stress just from the trauma of the pandemic or the trauma of race riots or the trauma of seeing police do things that you've never seen them do before. So here's my question and my challenge to you today. Have we as Muslims ever considered that we are broken collectively and or individually, right? Have we ever considered that we may be a broken people? Again, remember the two angles, home countries, and family life. How does that show up? It shows up in the totalitarian regimes in, in, in many home countries of Muslims and totalitarian families. Let me explain. Either one, the totalitarian regimes 
the oppressive regimes, oppressive family members, parents, brothers, older siblings, sisters, either one leads to one of two extremes. Either as a result, a Muslim may become extremely angry on one end of the spectrum or extremely fearful on the other end. And I've seen both extremely angry from being in a, in a non-anti, in an anti-democratic environment for so long, breathing in the air of oppression, right? Seeing family members being oppressed, starved to death, slaughtered. This can lead to PTSD. And then we may think, or you may think, not me, but coming and migrating to America has done away with all of your trauma. No, you're still carrying around DPTSD. And as Muslims, we have to start to broaden our mind to our immigrant, immigrant brothers and sisters. You, start, you have to start to think outside of the box, right, about these issues. So I say all this to say that trauma as a child and as an adult have different, effect, different effects but they certainly leave us with a bag to carry around. They leave us with a bag to carry around. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that whoever puts their trust in Allah, then Allah is enough. That's true. That's a statement of haq, complete, pure. always the way that Muslims have translated it. And I don't mean linguistically, I mean how it shows up contextually in our lives, in our culture, putting our trust in Allah. So let's first understand about mental health. So Europeans in the middle medieval period, they viewed mental illness as being related to demons, right? That you were possessed. If you were mentally ill and you had some, you know, erratic behavior, they would say this person is possessed. Now check this out. This is what's deep. That's the position that, that was in medieval Europe. We, for the most part, as Muslims in 21st century America, and all over the world, we've adopted that position today, that if someone has erratic behavior, instead of attributing it, attributing it to mental illness, the Muslim family would rather attribute it to demonic possession, jinn possession, sihr, magic, which are legitimate things in Islam. But it does not dismiss the idea that someone may be suffering from real mental illness. And, and we have to break the stigma and it's okay, it's okay. Right? It's okay. We're human beings. We're going to be stained and tainted by this dunya one way or another. Some of it is nafs and ego. Some of it is shahwa, desire and passion. And some of it is going to be mental obstacles and mental tests. All of it is from Allah. Now, how we say, how we put our trust in Allah is important. That means you can't just sit back and say, I put my trust in Allah and make dua. That's only one slither of the pie. So medieval Europeans, they thought that erratic behavior and this kind of working against your own well-being was demonic possession. Muslim scholars at that time, including Ibn Sina, he's known in the West as Avicenna, right? Avicenna, Avicenna, right? He's the founder of modern medicine. This is not something that is debated. Many of us know this already. Ibn Sina is the founder of modern medicine. Back then, as a Muslim, understanding the correct um, co context of putting your trust in Allah, he rejected the idea that erratic behavior and working against your own well-being was demonic possession. He said this is a mental disorder and they could be 
physiologically healed. This is physiologically based. And this led him to establish the first psychiatric ward in Baghdad, in Iraq, right? In, in, in the 8th century. So Muslims, we got skin in the game. We were the founders of this science. So for us to look at our wife or our husband or our children who have some serious mental illness from post-traumatic stress or maybe inherit, inherited from uh, some genealogical um, issue and, and feel embarrassment, you got to break out of that because you're doing that child or that spouse a disservice by not getting them help. And the imam, as we're going to see, he is not always qualified, right? So Ar-Razi, he started this psychiatric ward in Baghdad in the eighth century. And this was the first psychiatric hospital in the world, right? And they treated mental disorders and they considered them medical conditions and they used psychotherapy and they used medication and drug treatment and prescriptions. Hmm? SubhanAllah. So here's where I come in. Here's where I come in. Understand the main role of the Imam is to do several things. To represent the community for the purpose of providing advice according to the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to lead the people in Salah, to answer any of the worship questions around fiqh issues, to clarify issues of worship and ibadah or uh, familial or civic engagement. But there are levels that even the Imam is not qualified for, right? There are levels that even the Imam is not qualified for. So, okay, if you're talking about marital discord or some social issue, no problem. Each condition requires its own remedy, right? So, for instance, for if you're having marital discord or you're having uh, some kind of social issue, you would go to the imam, the local imam or religious scholar who understands the cultural framework of his clients or that particular musalli. And the solution may be he asks important questions and he assists the clients in gaining a new understanding, right? Gaining rapport, gaining empathy, gaining positive and using positive reinforcement. So this is marital social therapy. So after that though, there may be spiritual therapy. And this is, it starts with the imam, right? And what is spiritual? What is a spiritual ailment? It could be neglecting ritual worship, right? So you're neglecting your prayer. You're not fasting. You're exhibiting behavior inconsistent with your belief system. So this is when you need spiritual therapy. And this could be as a result of PTSD. For instance, if you come from a country where you saw the way women were beat by wearing the hijab, this may be a trigger for you. So you don't wear the hijab because women were mistreated for wearing the hijab. If you saw women literally kicked in the backside for going into the men's section in the masjid, then you don't ever wanna have anything to do with any masjid in America or anywhere else. So you may need some spiritual therapy, right? Because you have a, a form of PTSD. This is post-traumatic stress disorder. So you become angry and fearful. So you, you meet not just with the imam, you may find a group of like-minded people and you meet in a congregation and you feel safe and you talk about your issues in a circle and you pray and you learn and you do good acts of worship together. Feed the poor, right? This is how you do spiritual therapy in small silos. 
frequent and specific times and dates and meeting places to address your PTSD, which is coming out, come out and manifested in the form of spiritual therapy. Now, cognitive therapy, and this is what a lot of us have and our children are, are struggling with and we don't address, right? I was a school teacher at a Muslim private school and as well as my wife for many years. And I've witnessed children who have cognitive illness, cognitive ailments. What is a cognitive ailment? It's a disorder that primarily affects learning, memory, perception, problem solving, right? Executive func functioning, dyslexia, ADHD. And it is usually apparent immediately or over some time. But we as parents, we want all of our children as Muslims to go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton. So if I come to you as an educator and I say, look, the child has learned to read, but now we're in the fifth grade, we're reading to learn and the child is not comprehending. I see the difference. In the first grade, you learn to read, but in the fifth grade, you read to learn. And then in the fifth grade, you may see learning disabilities come into play, cognitive ailments. And so a lot of Muslim parents from immigrant households don't want to admit that their child may not be Harvard material. That's okay. If they're not Harvard material for whatever reason, and it may not be directly related to PTSD, they are material for something else. But the way we deal with cognitive therapy is initially an educator must diagnose and then recommend a specialist, right? And then you get one-on-one -on -one tutoring sessions and alternative learning methods. Right. So this is something to be aware of, that this is a stigma we have to take off, off of our children. If they have a learning disability or some kind of cognitive challenge, meet the challenge. Don't do a disservice to your child and just keep saying, oh, it's a language barrier. No, the child is suffering. But what I want to really address before we end is psychological therapy as a result of PTSD. Depression, attempts of suicide, thoughts of suicide, alcoholism. Um, uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is really an extreme form of anxiety. All of this can be mistaken as possession of jinn or having someone cast a spell on you, brothers and sisters. It may be just PTSD, right? It may just be PTSD. So what happens is you come to the imam and say, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell. Why are you going to hell? Because I, I, you know, I kissed a woman or I, I spoke to a man who I had no business speaking to, or I, I tried marijuana in college and I feel so bad about it. I think I'm going to hell. Will any of my good deeds be accepted? I've heard all of this, all of these examples. And what happens is this is a form of PTSD that comes out. Why? Because the family or the culture has instilled in this person hopelessness and a disproportionate fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without having a, a healthy form of hope in Allah. See, Islam is, um, is ummatul wasat, right? A middle course. We have fear in his, in his thing. So Muslims have a wasat, right? A, a middle path. Understand is you as parents, we may be doing a disservice to our children by constantly making them fear Allah without healthy hope. And this can lead to later on post-traumatic stress disorder. Anything they do, they become nervous, wet wrecks. They become socially awkward because they just have so much fear. The imam can't help you with this. This is a psychological problem. Depression, anxiety, OCD. This is a psychological problem. 
right? Look at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says to the Prophet right? He said that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wanted to throw himself off a cliff. He wanted to throw himself off a mountain, right? So Allah was even saying, even the Prophet experienced this kind of depression, right? The Prophet said, when someone has more than you, more confidence, more competency, more material possessions, more knowledge, look to someone below you, find gratitude, right? He said, in terms of anxiety or worrying about the future, he said, the pen is lifted and the ink is dried. No need to worry about what you can't control. He said, don't say if, if I had just, don't worry about the past because you can't control it. Don't regret it. But after the imam tells you these things, he has to be sophisticated enough. And this is what madrasa does not teach. He has to be sophisticated enough, and I'll end inshallah ta'ala soon, to be able to refer you to a mental health specialist. Where you can, you can go see a psychiatrist. You can go get therapy. You can involve your family in therapy. With Quranic rupia as a secondary means, right? So if a person is having schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, and you think, oh, they're possessed by a jinn, just recite Surah Al-Fatiha 70 times before bed, you should do that. But you should also get that person some medical help, psychiatrist, therapy, medication. All of this is from Allah. There's a, a narration in which Ibrahim, salam, he said, Ya Allah. And then, uh, and then Ibrahim said, what about the cure? I also created the cure. And then Ibrahim said, so what about a doctor? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, simply a man by whom I send the cure. So a man or a woman, a physician, a, a psychiatrist, a therapist, all of these are conduits by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates karamat, miracles. Don't just think miracles come with Quran. The Quran itself gives you strategies that says, right? Going to seek professional help. All the suffering from the as and religious, and it's possible learning religion and impact of Western mental starting. So I wonder of Allah, and you tell them make dhikr. Thinking more becomes an religiosity. I thought that they have they have this kind of. I'm going to give you a couple of things to support every night with your mind prescribed they have some depression after that they inherit them from us and if none of these work then you may need, need to see a, a therapist or a psychologist because all of us in some way are broken and only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends solutions and resolutions may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help all of us may Allah make it easy for us and guide us uh, to good mental health and good spiritual health and allow our hearts to be opened up to this deen in ways that we can imagine and may he save us from angles that we couldn't imagine. And may he lift this virus from all of us and keep us safe and keep our families safe. And may he deliver us and all of humanity from, from divisiveness and evil and, and bigotry. And may he allow us as Muslims to be instruments of positive change in the world. Amin. Jazakumullah khayran, brothers and sisters. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help all of us and accept from us. Amin. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.